You're listening to the Life Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in the Galilee up to Judea, to Bethlehem the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. They, the time came and the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And they were terrified. But the angel said said to them, Do not be afraid. I will bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will have a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to the God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Welcome and welcome to Christmas Eve, everybody, and a special thank you to our Life Kids readers. You were fabulous. I've never heard the Christmas story so beautifully told. And uh, I'm so grateful that we include our kids as a part of our Christmas Eve service because Christmas Eve is the celebration of a kid, isn't it? It's the celebration that God came as a child. 
and all of Christmas Eve is around the beauty, the godliness, the purity, the gift of a child. And so I love including our kids in our Christmas Eve service. When I was a kid, I don't know about you, I was super curious, and I still am pretty curious, and I wanted to know everything about everything. I remember my parents got me this um, book for my birthday, I think it was. I don't think it was Christmas, but it was a gift. And it was a book called The Book of 1,000 Questions and Answers. And I was so curious. I, I read through it wanting to know answers to questions like, how big is the rainforest? And what can live in Antarctica? And what can't? And how many teeth does a shark have? Five rows of teeth, by the way, and up to 3,000. No big deal there. You're welcome for that. Why is the sky blue? How do the seasons change? How old is China? What makes grass? grow. Yeah, I won't list all 1,000, but if you're interested in knowing them, you could probably still get the book in time for Christmas Day via Amazon Prime, okay? Anyway, my curiosity carried over to things like Christmas. And as my family celebrated Christmas, I wondered things like, where do presents come from? Who's Santa? How does he deliver all the presents to all the world in one night? If Christmas is about Jesus, what's the point of Santa? What does bringing a tree inside have to do with any of this? And uh, how would Jesus be both a God and a baby? And finally, I wondered, why did Jesus come? If we're celebrating Christmas is about Jesus' birth, why would Jesus, why would God come as a human child? Well, Life Kids just told us the what of the Christmas story, which is simply that God was born as a human in Jesus. That's the what of the Christmas story. But tonight, I want to take the next couple minutes or so, it's an abbreviated sermon tonight, and I want to look at the why of the Christmas story, which is why was God born as a human in Jesus? But first, we're going to learn a new word together, and that word is incarnation, okay? Type that in the chat. I and C are nation. Very good. You guys did great. You're so good at this stuff. And so I want you to say that with me in your own home. Incarnation. One more time. Incarnation. This is the word that theologians use to describe the birth of Jesus. The incarnation. The incarnation literally means the enfleshment in carne or the embodiment of God. And this is because it's the moment when the infinite God became finite. The immaterial one became physical. The all-powerful God of the universe became a weak human baby. The uncreated one became a creature. The one outside of time entered into it. And the pure and holy God above all took on the human condition. It's an incredibly unique phenomenon in the spectrum of world religions. Every other faith is about human beings working to reach God or enlightenment or ultimate reality. But the Christian faith is about a God who reaches out to us and pursues us, reaching down when we did not deserve it, instead of us reaching up, hoping to maybe one day attain ultimate reality. In Buddhism and Hinduism, for example, you're trying to escape the bonds of flesh. And you're trying to escape the earth, in fact, in order to reach enlightenment or Brahma. In Islam, you're hoping to live up to the standards of the distant, holy, separate God of heaven. And you don't know until the very end of your days when God judges all things whether or not you were enough and whether or not you're going to be in heaven or hell. In Taoism, you're trying to surrender to the whole universe, letting life happen as it will and actively emptying yourself to become part of just the cycle of life and part of the universal potential Tao. But in Christmas... 
We celebrate that we did not have to try so hard to empty ourselves or hoping one day maybe we might be good enough or try to uh, release our individualism in order to get to heaven or some kind of ultimate reality. But in Christmas, we celebrate that God came to us in the form of a human child. We didn't have to empty ourselves of our humanity in order to reach God, but he took on humanity in order to reach us. And there are many implications of the what of the incarnation, but scripture gives and church history shows us two major whys. The first reason was that Jesus came to save us from sin. And if you've been around church any length of time, I'm sure you've heard this. This is what we call the gospel. This is kind of the whole thing here, okay? And so the, the Bible tells us in Genesis, God made the world good and beautiful, right? That everything at its core is good. That God looked at everything the way he designed it and went, oh my gosh, that's good. That's complete. That's unbroken. That's whole. And all people and nations were in perfect harmony with one another. I mean, sorry, people and nature. And so when you say like, yeah, my friend's not a bad person, you know, I don't know why I would need God. Am I really a bad person? Well, the Bible kind of has a yes and no answer to that. It would say every person at our very core is good, but we're corrupted by something called sin. And so, you know, there is goodness in every person, but that doesn't mean any person is unbroken or uncorrupted. Do you follow me there? So in Genesis 3, the devil tempts Adam and Eve to disobey God and to sin by telling them that God was withholding something from them that would make them like God instead of simply serving him. And the sad catch of it is Adam and Eve were already like God. They were already made in God's image, but the devil was telling them that God was withholding something that would have made them so much more. So Adam and Eve disobey God and everything changes. In Genesis 3, death entered the world. Heaven separated from earth. And God's design for the world, for nature, for people, for family, for community, for the human experience is corrupted and twisted, becoming a sinful nature that Romans 8 tells us all of us have to this day. This is why Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What we don't mean is that people at their core are evil or bad. But what we do mean is that there is a corruption in the human nature. It's not even just what, it's more than what any of us have done. It's a deeper thing than that. Not only did it twist our humanity, it separated our intimate communion with God. And everything changed when humanity introduced sin into the world. And so the, the difference here is I want you to imagine you walked into your grandma's attic. Maybe she passed away and you go into her attic and you find this priceless Van Gogh, but it's covered in mud. It's a beautiful, good painting, but it's been corrupted by something and it needs to be restored. This is the kind of visual that the Bible gives us for sin and for people. And this is why Jesus had not just to be a good person, but had to be the son of God. It's why we celebrate the virgin birth, because if Jesus is born as a human, he can offer his life, his life up as a redemption on behalf of humanity. But he has to be born of God, not just people, because God doesn't have a sinful nature. And so if Jesus is born from God, it's not even just about what he's done or hasn't done. He has God's nature instead of a sinful, broken, corrupted human nature. It's like he came from Van Gogh itself instead of the painting with the mud on it. 
So this, the Bible is clear about this in verses like John 3, 16 through 17, which says, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So in Christmas, we celebrate that in the incarnation, Jesus comes to uncorrupt God's very good and beautiful design in the human race and in all of creation, saving us from sin and making us good and right and beautiful again. But that's not the only reason the Bible gives for the incarnation. And in fact, if this were the only reason, it would mean that through Satan's temptation and humanity's sin, we forced God to do something he didn't want to or plan to. It would also mean we screwed up plan A and forced God to go to plan B. It would also mean that the after effects of Jesus' coming, like his death on the cross, the resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit, that those wouldn't have been on purpose either. That even the empowering of the church and the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations would have been an accident. It would have been like, ah, crap, I guess we have to do this now. But that's not what the Bible says at all. Jesus did not just come to remove sin. And his incarnation is not simply a reaction to the fall of humanity in Genesis 3. Because freedom from sin and closeness to God are not the same thing. Let me say that again. Freedom from sin, being perfect, I've never done anything wrong, is not the same thing as intimacy with God. You can't be intimate with God if you're not free of sin, right? Which is the whole point of no one is, and that's why we need Jesus. But the point of getting rid of sin is for the sake of communion with God because we aren't just saved from sin. We are saved for communion. And by communion, this is where our word community comes from. It means this togetherness, this union, this intimacy. You were made and I was made for a loving union with the God of the universe because he made us and it's his home where we belong. So the incarnation is not simply a response to creation screwing up, but creation, in fact, is a response to God, who is love, wanting more to love, to be incarnate and present with what he has made. And this is reflected in our own nature as people, right? Through our love as husbands and wives, children are born. And that's not an accident because love by nature makes more things to love. The whole and good and right expression of that love is that there is a whole and good and right family that shares in that love together. And this is a dim reflection of God's very own nature because we're made in his image. Through the incarnation, God shouts to the whole universe, I am one with people now in a way that's inseparable and unchangeable. And now they're a part of me too. Christmas is an announcement to all created things, to the whole universe, that God and humanity are now in a kind of inseparable communion. And sin merely separated us from God, but it is not the point. It merely needs to be removed to get back to the point, which is a loving union with God that translates into loving relationships with the rest of the things he's made, including people. Bishop Callistos Ware, in his classic book, The Orthodox Way, says this about the Incarnation. He says, even if there had been no fall, in his own limitless outgoing love, God would still have chosen to identify himself with his creation by becoming man. 
The incarnation of Christ looked at in this way affects more than a reversal of the fall, more than a restoration of man to his original state in paradise. When God becomes man, this marks the beginning of an essentially new stage in the history of man and not just a return to the past. The incarnation raises man to a new level. The last state is higher than the first. Only in Jesus Christ do we see revealed the full possibilities of our human nature. Until he is born, the true implications of our personhood are still hidden from us. Christ's birth, as St. Basil puts it, is the birthday of the whole human race. Christ is the perfect man. Perfect, that is to say, not just in the potential sense as Adam was in his innocence before the fall, but in the sense of the completely realized likeness of God. The incarnation then is not simply a way of undoing the effects of original sin, but it is an essential stage upon man's journey from the divine image to the divine likeness. Meaning it's an essential part of our journey to being made in God's image to looking, breathing, talking, acting like our Father in heaven on the earth. Had the world known nothing other than goodness, Jesus would still have come and we would still celebrate Christmas because the primary purpose of the incarnation is not just to remove sin, but to restore relationship so that you and I might know how high and deep and wide and vast is the love of God for you and that this love might transform our whole life leading you to the good and beautiful fullness of life that God made you for. This is what the Bible says about Jesus coming, and this is simply Christmas. This afternoon, we're all coming from different places, some from good, some from bad, some from hope, some from depression, some from fullness, others from empty. But did you know that when we're born, we're designed to look for people who are looking for us? It's why my infant daughter, as soon as she wakes up, is looking around for someone who's looking for her. It's why we're drawn to the people who are excited to see us and we laugh around and have fun around, who care about us and listen to us. It's why listening and attention translate into uh, connection. God designed us to look for people who are looking for us, and on Christmas, Jesus came looking for you. And maybe this Christmas Eve, you find yourself looking for beauty, looking for goodness, looking for a fulfilling life, looking for healing in your heart, looking for healing in your mind or your body or your relationships. And maybe what you're looking for isn't just hope or peace or love or faith. What you're looking for is Jesus. And Jesus came looking for you. 2,000 years ago, God came in Jesus to look for you. And this Christmas Eve, Jesus is here right now looking for you, that you might be connected to the one who made you and know how high and wide and deep the love of God is for you. And so this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whenever you're watching this, you may be feeling yourself reaching out, hoping to be found. And I'm letting you know today, God was the one reaching out first, wanting to find you. And this morning, I just want to invite you to pray with me. I want to invite you to pray with me, and I want to invite you to surrender to the beauty, the grace, the goodness of this Christmas Eve as we celebrate the Incarnation. 
Father, Lord, forgive me for being lost in my sin. Forgive me, Lord, for being distracted by it. Forgive me for thinking it's the point. Lord, I'm not feeling a lot these days, and when I am, I'm feeling a lot of pain. And Lord, I ask that despite that, somehow, someway, you would help me to feel your love for me this Christmas. And that, Lord, your love would break through into my spirit right now. And Lord, I pray that you'd change me from the inside out. I want more of you than I have right now. And Lord, I just pray that you would show me what to do next. Thank you for loving me. And I want to say I love you too. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you just prayed with me, I want you to reach out to us. You can Facebook message us. You can hit us up on our website via our digital connection card, which is in our digital bulletin. But we want to walk alongside you as you take another step deeper into the love of God that is pursuing you this Christmas.